Hi, welcome to the Mohua Show. My name is Mohua Chinappa and I am an author, entrepreneur and ex-housewife. This podcast is about everything from business to technology to arts to lifestyle but done and spoken imandari se. Hi, in this episode we have with us Dr. Kagesh Gautam, an advocate, a highly accomplished lawyer, law professor and advocate for cannabis decriminalization. With a wealth of experience in criminal investigation, criminal evidence, constitutional law and more, Dr. Gautam brings a unique perspective to the legal field. He's not only a respected professor at Jindal Global Law School where he teaches courses on criminal procedure, evidence and constitutional law, but also an experienced trial and appellate lawyer who has appeared before the Supreme Court of India and handles various other legal matters. Dr. Gotham is also a prolific author with two books and numerous articles in prestigious legal journals to his name. He's been recognized as an upcoming jurist and has even been invited to teach as a visiting professor at universities in China and Hawaii. So for me and for our show, we are very honored to have him with us today to discuss his views on decriminalization of cannabis, which is such a sticky subject. What inspired you to write Cannabis Indica, Perception versus Potential? Tell me, Kagesh. Thank you, Mahua, for having me and for this very generous introduction. What inspired me uh, to do this work was actually uh, the work that I started in 2019 towards my uh, PhD work in uh, in Indiana University in Bloomington. What happened was very surprising. My initial project, of which this book is a part of, is actually a project that focuses on comprehensive criminal justice reform in India and cannabis decriminalization or rather re-legalization of cannabis because it's very important to note that before the year 1985, when the 8th Lok Sabha enacted the NDPS Act, cannabis was in fact legal in India. Trade in cannabis was uh, permitted upon license by state governments. Furthermore, it is important to note that this trade has been carrying on since before independence because the constitution itself makes a reference to uh, 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 the phrase used to the constitution is Indian hemp. In the book, I established this that in the, uh, established that Indian hemp and uh, cannabis indica, or as section 2 subsection 4 of the NDPS Act says, all plants of the genus cannabis, they are actually one and the same thing. And Indian law has been using the phrase hemp or Indian hemp and cannabis synonymously since the year 1894. So that's 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 one thing that I discovered. The other thing that really motivated me to do this work was uh, I while my see my doctoral work is in the field of custodial confessions and presents a psychological examination of the same. Uh, while doing this research, I discovered that uh, a custodial setting. Uh, where uh, suspects are custodially interrogated is a setting which is naturally prone to stress and anxiety. Furthermore, I discovered that states, uh, states of stress and anxiety that are created in an artificial setting in a custodial interrogation room are not very conducive to uh, uh, revelation of truth, if you will. A person who's suffering from uh, what, for instance, the DSM uh, uh, volume four for uh, DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's, it's considered the 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 Bible of uh, modern psychiatry and and psychology. 
according to dsm uh, volume 4 there is a psychological condition called generalized anxiety disorder and and uh, that disorder makes people extremely alert hyper aware and hyper alert now the point is that somebody who is experiencing anxiety will be extremely alert and that's not a state in which they'll be conducive to uh, tell the truth to the interrogating officer so that contradiction then led me to the discovery that uh, cannabis use has been reported as a great reliever of stress and anxiety while then doing research for the book i spoke with a lot of people who have consumed not only cannabis but other psychedelic substances such as psilocybin and i was in the us so i was able to speak to some people who had experimented with lsd as well uh, uh, and i bought all this to bear and lastly when i when i realized that in the year 1969 two very contradictory things happened globally and i'll stop uh, uh, at that in the year 1969 the british uh, parliament house of lords came up with a very interesting report the name of that report is the wooten commission report in which on or on a practical reading of the report all traditional charges that are laid out against cannabis or any type of psychedelic use have been debunked uh, it has been clearly laid down that uh, it's it's a stress reliever it's nothing distinct from alcohol uh, this is the finding in in uk the us supreme court however in the year 1969 overturned the conviction of a very famous harvard psychologist dr timothy leary dr timothy leary is a very uh, controversial name in the area of law and psychedelics but he was experimenting with lsd and psilocybin even and 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 uh, uh, it was the the experiments were being done under the protection and the support of harvard university until it was disclosed that some rules were not followed and dr leary was unceremoniously removed from his uh, office in the university nevertheless in the year 1969 his conviction under a law called the marijuana prohibition act of 1937 was overturned by the us supreme court two years thereafter the americans enacted controlled substances act completely prohibiting cannabis and any other type of psychedelics in india the same thing was done in 1985 there is a whole body of evidence that shows that cannabis has extremely high medical potential medical potential that probably western science isn't completely aware of yet criminalization of cannabis which is essentially a healing herb in light of all this evidence pointed out a very contradictory position to me and for a long time i i i dealt with it internally but after a while i just couldn't bear with it so i decided to write about it and out came this book so it's very interesting because cannabis is uh, viewed as uh, evil that a person should not have just how alcohol is and alcohol is very openly sold for people all across now you know for many of our listeners you know who may have absolutely differing views about the usage of uh, the indian hemp or the cannabis what is the potential medical benefits of cannabis indica strains and has the medical fraternity really accepted it do you think that there would be acceptance for this well there would be acceptance for this of that i have no doubt because uh, more and more uh, the thing is the medicinal potential Uh, of this uh, of this herb is is being revealed i'll give you an example there is an entire list of medical conditions the treatment of which is permitted by use of cannabis i'll give you an example and there is an, an actually a list of uh, 40 states in the us but i'm citing some famous examples so one famous example is colorado 
in India, in legal communities and in the community that is familiar with the, with the research on law and psychedelics, they are aware that uh, cannabis has been legalized in Canada and in the state of Colorado. So for the treatment of cancer, glaucoma, uh, even HIV, severe pain, that is chronic pain, nausea, seizures, then you have psychological conditions where the research is upcoming, but you have the potential of cannabis to be able to manage PTSD, clinical depression, specifically dysthymia. Research with my students and working with my students, we have discovered that some people who are suffering with the ADHD or ADD have also reported healing and therapeutic benefits that they have obtained. And some studies have now started pointing out towards cannabis being potentially used as a sports medicine. Because what we, what we have discovered is that as if you think of it as a sports medicine, in sports, those drugs are prohibited that enhance the performance of the athlete. However, cannabis, when you consider the neuropsychological effects of the drug or of the plant on the, on the, on the nervous system and on the body, it is the opposite of a performance enhancer. So you have a situation where uh, not only for the treatment of medical conditions, but also for managing routine pain. So cannabis and cannabis-based based medicine is now being recognized more and more therapeutically. One thing I'd like to add also to that, to this, uh, Mahua, is that in India, it is widely accepted that cannabis is a prohibited substance, uh, an addictive substance and a dangerous substance because it is prohibited by the NDPS Act. However, if we go online and run just a regular search, uh, regular Google search for medicinal cannabis industry in India, we'll be able to see there are many, many startups and uh, established players as well. The Drugs and Cosmetics Act in India actually allows cannabis to be used as medicine. It lists cannabis as, uh, as a medicine in Schedule E1 of the drug rules. So therefore, the biggest myth is that it can't be used for any medicinal purposes and B, it is not actually being used for any medicinal purposes in India. The truth, however, is and which is easily disclosed on a bare Google search is that it's, it's the opposite. It has medical potential. The medical potential has been known since the year 1894. It has been repeatedly established in studies that have been published since the year 1894, a total of seven at least. And uh, in India, Ayurvedic doctors and essentially ISM practitioners, practitioners who practice the Indian system of, uh, of medicine mm -hmm. are allowed to prescribe uh, cannabis as medicine. They are prescribing this and this is all done within the cover of law. So the fact is cannabis is a medicine. Sciences have known this. Historically, this has been known. And in India, uh, perhaps uh, the awareness lacks. And of course, podcasts like this do help in spreading awareness. I've noticed all this in my book, by the way. In 2016, Uttarakhand became the first Indian state to permit large-scale commercial cultivation of industrial hemp. So the license was awarded to the Indian Industrial Hemp Association, IIHA, to plant cannabis on thousand hectares. So obviously there is conversation and we are going back, you know. But uh, let's just discuss a little about your experience in teaching law and psychedelics and the impact it has had on your students because the understanding of the subject of psychedelics is a very, it's a very shaky ground. I mean, me, I'm a parent myself and I'm not too sure as to how I would be able to talk 
to a child on psychedelics because you know as children they may not be responsible about the usage of any sort of psychedelics or drug related conversations around their college so i agree with the view that you have presented it's extremely difficult as it is to talk about psychedelics or psychotropics or mind altering substances generally because most of the population does not consume these substances uh if somebody has had a chance to consume them medicinally they know the effect that they have on the mind and it's of course uh, you are a parent and uh, i meet with several parents uh, and i totally agree and i share the point of view that these are uh, well dangerous might not be the the right word but they're risky and uh, as responsible members of society we have every reason and every obligation to protect our youth from falling into addiction and other risky behavior so i share but uh, the more i think about it the more i come to the conclusion that the only way to deal with the problem is to to look the problem right in the face uh, if we want to protect our youth from the side effects of these substances it is we owe it to our youth then to study them and to understand what exactly happens now speaking with the students i have realized so this that that's one side the other side is the students the youth the youth are adventurous they like experimenting and of course we don't want to kill that spirit because that's what propels progress in our society but of course it's a double edged sword um speaking with my students i have found that students generally and youth youth generally not students but youth uh, youth generally because i do speak about this not only with my students but also with my fellow faculty members with fellow members at the bar judges and such law uh, uh, law enforcement officials i've spoken with and in my own family i have had chance to have detailed conversations so uh, my experience is that the youth does not a youth does not really know how to talk about these things b they do not know with whom they should talk about so if we look at the problem from those two angles a we need to give our youth a vocabulary in which they could intelligently talk about these issues and the book does that several of my students have uh, uh, confessed professed and i have no reason to doubt that they are teetotalers and yet some of the most insightful research that my students have presented to me have, have has come from those who have zero experience with the, any type of psychedelic or mind altering substances not even coffee in, in certain cases so that's very interesting to note students youth when given a vocabulary and a way to talk about these issues are able to engage with them effectively they want to engage with them and just because they want to engage with the issues of law and psychedelics is no indication of their propensity to consume those substances that's a very important thing that we as 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 sort of so, so, so to speak elders in this i am not very old myself but as elders in the society this is one something that we have to be sensitive to second to whom they should you know to whom do they go to uh this i uh, also have seen has been a bit of an issue uh, therefore i think the most important contribution of the course that i'm teaching uh, uh, in the university in the coming semester law and psychedelics and the book uh, cannabis uh, indica perception versus potential is one of the books that we are using in the course the most important contribution that i have seen and i've been doing this for uh, a year and a half now is that students get a safe space in which they know they will not be judged and whatever they want to talk about they can openly discuss um i have seen that this particular thing has had a lot of therapeutic effect on the students and personally it has benefited the research 
because it allows us to get a clear look uh, at the manner in which the consumption of these substances affects the mind, the thinking patterns, the behavioral patterns, as well as the body. So those are the are the contributions that I've seen. I hope that answers the question. Yes, Kagesh, you know it's very interesting because you are in the field of law. But do you think the Indian government's current stance on cannabis compares to other jurisdictions? And in many places, many people feel that uh, sometimes the law fails us in some spaces. Tell me your opinion about the government's current stance on this. Mahua, I think that's a very important question. And uh, a bit of it I have also addressed in the third part of chapter 5. Uh, I think uh, the government's stand can be looked at very objectively from a few legal developments. One of those I have discussed in the book is an amendment that was done in the NDPS Act in the year 2014, which uh, basically enjoins the government to make sure that, uh, that whatever substances are prohibited under the NDPS Act are available for medicinal and scientific research. If you look at this particular amendment in light of the Drugs and Cosmetics Act rules, Schedule E1, specifically the fact that cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, etc., they are all mentioned there as, as medicinal healing herbs. I think the government is in a government has put itself in a peculiar position where they must do all uh, that they can to promote at least the medicinal cannabis industry. That's number one. Number two, another important development that is currently underway is the enactment of a new Drugs and Cosmetics Act, which will replace the old law. Uh, I have examined that law without going into too much detail. I think there is a lot of scope for improvement. And I think that if, if the government are uh, uh, sensitive to their already proclaimed position in parliament, I think, uh, I think a lot of productive uh, progress can be made in the enactment of this new law. Recently, it has been pointed out in the news that the Indian government has supported the removal of cannabis from, I believe, Schedule 4 of the 1969-61 uh, United Nations Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. I think that's a very welcome move, but I think that leaves much to be desired. As of now, as of today, cannabis, can, cannabis and cannabis resin continue to be mentioned in Schedule 1 of the 1961 single convention schedule one schedule one of that convention is a list of all those substances that have no known medicinal potential uh, similarly in schedule one of the 1971 united states congress enacted controlled substances act there is the same legal position and this is the legal position under the 1985 indian parliament enacted ndps act uh, I think, uh, the, so the, the important provision is Section 20 of the NDPS Act. I think uh, if the government have accepted, which is clear in our legal proclamations, that we as a, as a nation and uh, as, as, as a nation of laws do accept the premise that cannabis is indeed a medicinal healing herb, and if we do indeed accept the premise that historically, at least in India, it has been known that cannabis is a medicinal healing herb, then on what then then we have to do away with this great inconsistency that comes about in our NDPS Act Section 20 that prohibits criminally even the consumption of cannabis. Consumption of cannabis is specifically allowed in our Indian laws by the Drugs and Cosmetics Act. So we need to seriously redraft that law. I think uh, I think the government will eventually 
come to this conclusion or i think eventually the courts will realize that there is this great inconsistency in either way in future i do see this resolving itself it's just a matter of time the way i see it it's not a matter of hope i really love this entire optimism that you have i have met people who have told me about how they've had um you know they've healed very very terminal diseases um with just the usage of cannabis of course they don't like to come out and talk too much about it for uh, you know for being misunderstood as a law professor how do you think the legal profession can play a role in shaping the conversations around cannabis legalization because conversations is also about people who don't understand the old culture of bhang and ganja and you know how bhang is actually consumed during shivratri in india so how do you think this conversation will change that's uh, well that's a difficult question to answer but because it 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 essentially allows us to imagine you know think about what's going to happen in future but it's a it's a it's a it's an important question to deal with also in my perception mahua i see two things happening one is i see uh, uh, and i see the uh, uh, that the bar council especially young law students and lawyers are going to play a huge role in this in this in this societal transformation if you will but the first step is awareness and awareness will come on two fronts i think as people become aware of the issue as people read this book as other books are, are written uh, newspaper articles etc happen uh, people will start realizing the medicinal potential and the entire body of those citizens who are closeted right now and i do not know what other phrase i should use because the phrase closeted is exactly right we do have a lot of closeted cannabis consumers in india i think a lot of them my research i think to my mind not beyond reasonable doubt but i have very strong reason to assume on the basis of data that we have collected with the help of my students that there are this closeted community of cannabis consumers which is very open amongst themselves Uh, are actually consciously or subconsciously consuming it for medicinal purposes we need to make sure that this community of citizens is given a space a safe space where they can come out where if they are truly dependent on the substance they can talk to therapists about it they can deal their way through it and uh, we also need to sp- figure out what are the medicinal underlying conditions for which they are consuming it so i think as law, I, and i think the more we do away with the taboo that is associated with it uh, the more awareness uh, will follow and on that point the taboo will go away the more we realize that the consumption of for instance you correctly mentioned bhang which is cannabis consumed in a in a shake or in a liquid in an edible form if you will so we have to first realize that the the phenomenon of consuming uh, um, edible uh, edibles uh, uh, as, as it is known in the west is actually quite indigenous to us the uh, uh, indian hemp drugs commission report of 1894 mentions the preparation of sweet meats if you will mithais uh, that use bhang and cannabis uh, uh, oils and extracts etc so that's one secondly we have to realize that the use of cannabis this is very sensitive and it's very important to note that the use of cannabis has been associated with worship with the worship of shiva uh, lord shiva particularly but it is there are instances of it, it being used for a uh, worship of other gods the way i look at it i i examine this is called entheogenic use 
and um, uh, a very famous American scholar, Professor Houston Smith, who was uh, working with Professor Dr. Timothy Leary for a while. He wrote a very famous book and uh, a lot of other research uh, that he has done tends to show that there is a connection of some sort between what is termed as a genuine religious experience and entogenic use which is not limited to cannabis itself so uh, the fact that and, and very importantly uh, i've discussed this in detail in the book the yoga sutras book 4 verse 1 do mention that uh, one of the accepted ways of attaining a very highly concentrated state that leads to samadhi uh, that's the eighth limb of the Ashtang Yoga Sutra. The, the eighth the step is Samadhi. Uh, 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 what leads to that state on is, is well, uh, meditation and uh, uh, consumption of certain herbs is understood to be conducive to meditation. And uh, I've discussed it in the book that uh, cannabis is one of those herbs. So there is a connection there that we do have to study and very carefully examine and I think once we do that, we do realize that there are constitutional arguments against cannabis. Uh, uh, this is restricted just to cannabis, by the way, against criminalization of cannabis. One is an argument based on Article 21. Article 21 of the Constitution and today on the day of the recording, since it is the Republic Day, I think it's fair to mention the Constitution. Article 21 protects the right of life and personal liberty. That has been interpreted by the Supreme Court to mean the right includes the right to exist with personal dignity on that there is no dispute now if i am if, if i have a constitutional right to exist with dignity and if pain and dignity are antithetical if there is nothing dignified in pain then is it not my fundamental right to seek ways in which my pain can be managed or alleviated and if it is then i do have a fundamental right to be aware to be prescribed at least to be able to go to a physician and seek the prescription of this uh, this plant as medicine that's number one and number two there is perhaps an argument that needs to be developed if we closely look at the text and the doctrine of article 25 and 26 which talk about uh, fundamental uh, uh, protection of uh, f religious freedoms then uh, uh, there seems to be a case that um, if, say, for instance, a hypothetical situation where uh, a saint or a, or, or a sadhu establishes a religious premises and, and establishes an idol, so now the, the land actually belongs to the idol, this is traditional Hindu law. Now, if the lands of that akhada or that, or that temple, etc., if a certain part of that land is used to cultivate cannabis which is then offered to the lord the shivalingam as an offering then act is actually violative of the ndps act section 20 but is that not an act that is worthy of being immunified of being protected from unnecessary state intrusion on the grounds that the land per article 26 belongs to the establishment and the cultivation of this is for an essential religious purpose which is the worship of the uh, installed deity or the image thereof. So those are two of the key arguments that uh, my students and I are working on very furiously these days. We'll see, uh, you know, in which direction this takes us. In 1841, William Brooke O'Shaughnessy introduced cannabis into Western medicine after living in India. He wrote of many therapeutic uses of cannabis, including a case where cannabis stopped 
convulsions in a child but while we are saying all of this we also know that you know cannabis usage and uh, the decriminalization that you are talking about i don't know how whether india is ready you know for it uh, just as yet as much as you know cannabis has been prevalent from times immemorial especially in a place like india where it's um, consumed in the form of ganja or bhang cannabis can be used in several forms uh, it's often also smoked as a dry shredded green and uh, brown mixes of flowers stems seeds and leaf there is a conversation that says that someone can become as addicted that they can be with alcohol and tobacco a person dependent on cannabis can also have withdrawal symptoms and it can get very devastating for a youngster who may not be able to understand the symptomatic the symbiotic relationship uh, you know between uh, siddhi and uh, the usage of um, cannabis so before i end this episode just for my listeners i would like to read out one part from your book for people who are interested in picking up this book and i'm sure there are lots and lots of people who would love to read about this i personally believe that there is a huge uh, market now for hemp uh, companies where there's food there is uh, cosmetics and um, there is anti anxiety oils that's available and india as we're talking about becoming more and more indian and embracing our roots this is a humongous part of our culture just to talk a little bit about cannabis indica perception versus potential is a comprehensive and insightful book that delves into the historical and legal status of the cannabis plant in india written by dr khagesh gautam and i think when you pick up this book this book presents compelling arguments for the legalization of the plant supported by extensive research and academic documentation so that the benefits offered by the plant can be fully realized in a regulated environment thank you khagesh for this absolutely wonderful interview today i am so charged because this is so amazing to see i can feel the passion from your side and i really hope and wish you luck in all the experiment and all the work that you're doing with the students so that this sees the light of the day and we start recognizing the benefits of the cannabis plant thank you for being on today's episode thank you so much uh, mahua if i may just add uh, we need all the help and support so we thank you for your wishes we do plan to continue this work thank you so much for having me i hope uh, this podcast results in some awareness something exactly my students and i want for this project so thank you so much for having us once again thank you Do you our dearest listeners you can find us on your favorite streaming services Spotify Amazon Music Apple Podcast and of course on all other major streaming services with loads of love we are the mohua show where we talk imandari se